Hello, podcastaways. I hope you're well. It's Irregular Paul here. That's my new nickname. I'm working on it. Uh, welcome to another Irregular Podcast. It has been the Hepticon Club. Now it's a Paul Carenza podcast, uh, currently offering the last of our Comedians with Books panel chats. Uh, so basically, if you've not caught up, I've retired the old podcast but I pay to keep it online whether I upload stuff or not, so I see nothing wrong with flouting podcast rules and using this as a sort of channel for my stuff, uh, which, you know, changes occasionally. So right now, it's it's changing again, um, I hate to say. Uh, before the final Comedians with Books... Uh, this time with friend of the show, Stephen Colgan, him of the Heptagon Club days, former QI Elf and so on, and new friend of the show, James Dowdswell, a fine comedian. Uh, they're on soon talking about pubs and whodunits and their books. Uh, but first, news of a new thing, uh, which you can get for free, but it will mean taking some action to enjoy it. So listen up. Uh, I've got a new podcast launching this very weekend. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, it's probably out there. Uh, it's a notch above a podcast. Really, it's more like a radio series. Uh, there's a budget, there's a studio, uh, there's a fantastic producer, there's a fab, famous co-host, and basically, it's on Audible. Okay, that's that's what's going on there. So here's what happened. Uh, we pitched uh, an idea to them, and, and they bit. Audible uh, fancied what we were pitching, uh, something Christmassy, and uh, it's via the producers of Pause for Thought that I do the Radio 2 breakfast show with TBI Media, lovely people, and Audible have been lovely as well. So if you're not familiar with Audible original podcasts, basically you have to be on Audible to get it, but you can get a free trial. So more info of that shortly. Uh, First of all, I should say, uh, I'm out about enjoying some Christmas shopping, so you might hear some cars going by, some shoppers heckling me, that sort of thing. Tis the season. You will know, regular listeners, how much I love Christmas. Uh, So much so that that's uh, where I am right now amid Black Friday sales, pretty much. Um, But yeah, so I wrote this book, Hark, the Biography of Christmas, uh, a couple of years ago now. And uh, this year I've put book club notes online. Uh, I mentioned that last time. paulcarenza.com slash harknotes.pdf. I'll put that in the show notes if you fancy. Um, I'm also recording the audiobook of Hark, the Biography of Christmas, this very week. Uh, So that will be hopefully out this side of Christmas. Uh, But meanwhile, yeah, this new podcast with Audible, right? So it's all about Christmas and a bit of Christmas past and a bit of Christmas present and just fun as well. Uh, It's called Christmas, What the Fa-La-La, or Fa-La-La-La. I can never quite work out how many La's are in there. It wasn't my first choice of title, if I'm honest, but Audible liked it. So we're gone with it. Christmas, what the fa-la-la-la-la. I will tell you more about it after the first chunk of Comedians with Books on this here podcast episode. Um, But well, here are the headlines, okay? A, I'm very excited about it. Uh, B, uh, yes, Audible do audiobooks, but they also do podcasts, okay? They're called Audible Original Podcasts. And basically, if you subscribe to Audible, you get all of their podcasts for free. You've got to download them uh, to get them. Uh, I'll, I'll explain a bit more the specifics of how to do that in, later in the podcast. Let's not get distracted by such things. Um, but yeah, I basically, I put more info and there's a free trial as well. If you go to paulcarenza.com slash audible.php, now let's get that exactly right, paulcarenza, P-A-U-L-K-E-R-E-N-S-A.com slash audible.php. You need the PHP, okay? Again, that link will be in the show notes, right? Uh, you get a free trial there, and if I'm honest, right, if you go via that link, 
I get a bit of a kickback, okay? I get a fiver, right? Even if you do a free trial and then cancel it, you can never pay anything. Audible, give me a little bit of money by uh, shoving someone their way. And there are, they are really good, right? Okay, they're not paying me to say this because it might be that no one clicks on that thing and I get zero pence. But basically, I've done a podcast for them and I'd like people to listen to it because it's we had such fun doing it, right? It's me and it's Grace Dent. Uh, yeah, the fantastic uh, broadcaster, journalist. You might have seen her on Have I Got News For You, uh, read her acerbic articles in The Guardian, or heard her brilliant Radio 4 show, The Untold. Uh, she's a journalist and a food critic. And uh, yeah, she's now co-host with me on Christmas What the Fa-la-la-la-la. Uh, so the podcast uh, over there is it's six episodes, really, of Grace and myself deep diving into Christmas. Uh, so beginning, we've got episodes on the nativity and panto, Santa, food, trees, decorations, cards, Christmas films. Uh, and each episode has me doing two sort of solo, uh, fun, festive, historical rants. We've got a game or two, and we've got a fantastic guest each episode as well. I will tell you who those fantastic guests are after we hear from the fantastic guests on this podcast episode. Let's not get distracted from them. This is Comedians with Books, episode number three of that. It's a live show that we have been doing uh, with Guildford Fringe Festival. It's probably time that we've called it a day there because, uh, you know, it was a nice experiment for a little while. The idea was comedians who've written books come along, talk about their books, talk about their writing, what inspires them, their publishing route, that sort of thing. Uh, So this time it's Stephen Colgan and James Dowdswell. I'll pop again about halfway through and tell you a bit more about the, uh, the Audible stuff and also the Miranda Hearts Christmas special, the big reunion show we filmed last week at the Palladium, uh, plus also some books stuff, um, a message for the beta readers that we talked about last time, uh, and some gig info as well. Loads of things to just generally talk, talk about and uh, express about, and we will get to that after this excerpt from the live show of Comedians with Books. And welcome back to Comedians with Books. Give a round of applause for James Dadswood and Stephen Colgan. Hooray! James, what was your route to... Uh, publication? Did you approach a publisher? Did you? Did they approach you? How, or did you um, just? Uh, how did it work? Well, in 2015, I did a show in Edinburgh called um, James Dazzle's Perfect Pub, and I, I I thought what I basically did was in the show I would ask the audience, "What's the favourite? What's your um, perfect pub? What would you want in your perfect pub?" And so unwittingly, over 26 nights, I did a, uh, a what you call maybe a, a survey and found out what everybody wanted in their perfect pub. And a friend of mine, Philippa, said, why don't you write a book? I approached a publisher, and she said, oh, don't know about that. Uh, 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 sorry, a publisher agent. And she said, oh, I don't know. I grew up in a pub. I don't think there's anything interesting about that. Fortunately, I'm quite stubborn. I thought, <laughs> no, I think there is something interesting about that. And I did a gig at Ram Brewery in Wandsworth, and I met a bloke from Canberra, and he said, well, Canberra, I've got a publishing arm. So I phoned up. Uh, the bloke uh, phoned up Camera Books and said, oh, hello, I'd like to publish a book, please. And they said, oh, we'll put you straight through to Simon. Simon's the boss, spoke to Simon, he goes, oh, excellent, uh, send me two chapters. I sent him two chapters. On the following Tuesday, he went, yep, yeah, I've read those chapters. Uh, I'm interested in publishing that. Do you want to meet? Uh, we'll have a meeting. Because uh, I'm from Canberra, I believe all meetings should take place in a pub. Of course. So I met in St Albans, and he said the first draft was uh, too much stand-up, but he said, uh, uh, if you smooth it out with facts, I think we've got a book there. Now, I've since tried to phone camera books for any reason whatsoever. I've never got 
They've never even answered the phone, let alone got through to the boss. So I got completely lucky on that particular day. So right, right idea, right place, right time. Exactly. The stars aligned. Tuesday afternoon, 3.17. There you go. Good to know. Good to know. I've cited I've, I've you, actually, James Dowdswell, a few times as... Um, uh, people, when people talk about the state of the comedy circuit and how it's all sort of kind of a bit shrink, you know, cl- like fewer fewer clubs than used to be, yeah. more comedians than there used to be, everyone's diversifying a bit. And so I've been doing more events for churches because I yeah. do a few of those things. And suddenly there's a, you know, there are a few people who do those and then you get more bookings. And I've started you because you do like vineyards, wine drinking. Yeah, I love to do. Well, Paul and I have something in common, which is the, we're the most alternative comics out there. I'm not religious, but Paul. Me, Paul, and about three others don't swear. We're completely clean. <laughs> off. <laughs> but no, I went to Australia, and in Australia you can talk about wine, and uh, the whole idea of uh, a pom knowing about wine in Australia is hilarious. So I'm like the Henning of Australia. <laughs> so I can yeah. sell, I could sell really well in Australia. And there was this, I remember, cause I remember you doing your wine show in Edinburgh uh, a few years ago, about 10 years ago probably now, and it's one of these examples of you have one idea for one show that suddenly, you know, a decade later, yes, it's you, opened up this whole industry. Isn't it? Yeah, you suddenly realise, oh, it'd be, it's, it's fun to talk about, you know, like you, you do, to talk about what you know and mm. what you are enjoying, and hopefully um, people find it funny too. And if it's, Stephen, I know that before your books you've been mentioning tonight, you've done several books which have uh, built on that, uh, the fact side of things, haven't they? Were those your first attempts? Yeah, first I, mean, I mean, the first book was, was quite traditionally published in the fact that um, just before I started working for QI, and in fact, just before I finished working as a, as a police officer, I'd written a book called Joined Up Thinking. It wasn't called that originally. That's the title they had to change it to because we had a bit of a spat with Rick Wakeman. Long story, I won't go into it. Um, but... Um, well, the short, the short of it was. It was originally called the Six Degrees of Rick Wakeman, because it was all about connections. And what I found is Rick Wakeman is kind of like Britain's Kevin Bacon. He is connected to everyone. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know, you know, when you listen to David Bowie, Life on Mars, that's Rick Wakeman on the piano. When you listen to Cat Stevens, Morning is Broken, that's Rick Wakeman on the piano. When you listen to the Straws, Part of the Union, that's Rick Wakeman on the piano. He was, he was a jobbing, working. <coughs> Uh, keyboard player, and he was much better than most of the other jobbing working keyboard players. So he's on every album. Not he even was, that. He used to host live at Jonglers. He did, and this the other thing. He was one of the original <laughs> founders of Jonglers as well. Yeah. He does lots of charity stuff. He plays golf. He is connected to everyone, and wherever I went in this book, he kept coming back to Rick Wakeman. So I got in contact with him and saying, "No, I want to call this book the Six Degrees of Rick Wakeman," which I thought was a nice pun on the fact his first album was called Six Degrees uh, of Henry VIII, and he'd been married a few times, and. Um, <laughs> And I thought that's a nice pilot, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. He wrote the foreword for it, and then, literally, as the final draft of the book went into Pam McMillan, I had, a, I had a, an order slapped on me by his management saying, "No, you can't have Rick Wakeman's name on the cover." Rick's decided to bring out his memoirs, and Rick, being Rick, he doesn't want Rick Wakeman on the cover. He's called it Grumpy Old Rockstar, and we're afraid people will buy your book thinking it's his. So, so it's the publisher's, not Rick. Is yeah, it? yeah. It so it wasn't Rick himself. Rick was brilliant yeah. about it. Um, so yeah, it ended up being called Joined Up Thinking, which I hated as a title. But we had to come up with something at the, at the 11th hour. So when I did the sequel, I called that Six Degrees of Rick Wakeman and got an order slapped on me not to do that because Rick's second volume of memoirs was coming out <laughs> at the same time. So I've still got this intro by Rick Wakeman. 
I've still got a lovely letter from him saying he wants to do this, and I've ne- never actually got around to using that title. One, but one day, and then really of course he'll, yeah, you know, book three when he's dead or something, or his manager's dead. Can we share a book, the six forwards of Rick Wayne? <laughs> like, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it goes to show that maybe that's indicative of the fact that in that story, then publishers are getting in the way of actual creative people like Rick Wayne, but and yourself wanting to just do a thing. But don't you find that the background stuff, like the publishers and the agents, get in the way anyway? I mean, the number of times we would phone up. So I used to work on a show called the Museum of Curiosity as well, if you've ever heard it on mm. Radio 4. Yeah, very good. Um, QI sort of sister show. And we used to think, at the beginning of the year, we'd sit down and make a wish list of who we wanted on the show. And then we'd find out their agents to see if we could get them on. Now, you'll know this, Paul, because you work in radio. The wages aren't large, are they? They're not great. They're not no. great. <laughs> no, but I mean, a lot of people who are mega rich say, yeah, I'd love to do that because it'll be great fun. So consequently, we had... Terry Pratchett, we had Neil Gaiman, we had Jimmy Wales who created Wikipedia, we had Buzz Aldrin, we had some amazing guests. Occasionally we found out, like we found out Helen Mirren's agent, and honestly I could hear the laughter across the room when we said how much we were going to pay her. Um, but there were a lot of people we phoned up and said, will you be on the show? And their agent said, no, don't be so ridiculous. And um, see, I'm doing that with a phone, like it's a real phone. It wasn't like this. I mean, that's the thing about mobile phones, it's not, you could slam the old phones down, couldn't you? It's not so good. Yeah, and you too. <laughs> it's not the same, is it? But um, it's the same with the Kindle. You can't slam a Kindle shot with a fly. In no, no, you can't. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, we had a lot of people who we, uh, we asked to come on the show, and their agent said no. And then we met them in other circumstances later on. They go, God, I love that show. I would love to have done it. So it's sometimes the background people do get in the way, the agents and the publishers. Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly feel a bit harsh, because you know, in your case, it wasn't the publisher getting in the way, it was Rick Wakeman's management. But I suppose yeah. what I was trying to lead towards was that you were traditionally published and now you're with the Unbound, time, yeah. aren't yeah. you? So, so what, um, how's the un- Unbound experience yeah. been? The Unbound experience is, is all right. Yeah. Do we all know what Unbound is? No. Yeah. Um, basically, 2008 particularly, around that time there was a big revolution in publishing. As I said earlier, there was the, the threat from e-books, there was lots of uh, book chains closing down, and a lot of publishers pulled up their skirts and said, we're only going to take on stuff that are dead certs. Um, Unbound grew out of that. Unbound is um, a bunch of people who previously had quite lucrative book contact, contracts who were just suddenly told, we don't want your next book because you're not famous enough. Uh, and otherwise, there were people who'd sold quite well. Um, and they decided to start their own publishing company. And what they decided to resurrect was a model that was used in the past. I mean, Dickens, all of Charles Dickens' books were published by public subscription. They were put out in instalments and people paid for the next instalment. Uh, Dr. Johnson's Dictionary was published by basically crowdfunding, by him going around to people saying, give me the money to do this dictionary. Um, so they decided to combine crowdfunding, which had, which had started coming along as a bit of a thing because of Kickstarter and, and things like this, to combine traditional publishing with um, crowdfunding. And the idea is that you pitch a book as normal to Unbound, and they'll either say yay or nay. You know, and, and about one in five books that they get pitched, they say, yeah, we like that book, we'll go with that. They then create a platform for that book on their website, set a total, and then the author goes off and crowdfunds the money to cover the book's publication costs. Then, once that's done, it switches over to traditional publishing again. So you get your two rounds of editing, you get proofreaders, you get cover design, and all that sort of thing, and then the book ends up in the shops, or it ends up as an e-book. And do, do they provide those, the proofreaders, the editorial side? Yeah, everything. They, it's got it's all incorporated in that cost that you've crowdfunded. Mm-hmm. And the average, the average sort of paperback book, you have to raise about... Well, anything between six and twelve grand, depending on how big it is and how much it is. But I, I've done it. Well, I'm just on my sixth campaign at the moment. Brilliant. And it's um, and it, the other nice thing about it is because this is started by authors, 
they offer you a fair share of the profits as well. I mean, with Pam McMillan, my first book went out, I got maybe about six, seven percent profits. Right. With Unbound, everything above the total you've got to reach, the crowdfunding total, everything above that is split 50 50. That's brilliant. So okay. the author gets 50 well, and Unbound gets 50. I get 15 percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get 50 percent of all my books. What do you get on yours? Uh, it varies book to book, but it's about 10 percent on those yeah. traditional published ones. I'm not yeah. sure if this is right. So. We're in a revolutionary cellar here, so yeah. no one yeah. But uh, I was told by my publisher then on Amazon, if you it, 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 they buy them in Amazon, that Amazon takes seventy five percent. They do, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you guys know that? It's yeah. massive. That's they, extortion. They get a lot. Seventy five percent. If you self publish, of course, with Amazon Kindle things, then the author gets to keep seventy percent of right, the yeah. taking. So there's well, there's a sub, yeah, yeah. very much big movement of people going. Actually, do we need even yeah. need the publishers, the bookshops? Yeah. You know, the the issue with that's that Kindle. Is, that, that's, that's Kindle. Just yeah. Kindle only. It's good Sorry. for writers. It's a good atmosphere for writers at the moment because it's never been easier to get published. Um, Amazon. I did some stats recently, and Amazon publishes. They add a new ebook to their ebook collection. One new ebook every one point eight seconds. Wow! The the the, the groundswell of ebooks is absolutely massive. So it's really hard to get noticed in amongst them. But some people do. Some I mean, do like smaller ebooks, don't they? It's yeah, and and sort of around twenty thousand words is very popular at the moment. Twenty to thirty thousand words is very popular. Like a novella, it, novella. It does seem that those who are doing that. Um, Seem to churn them out fairly swiftly. Oh, there are some people who can write, who write six novels a year or something because they're self-publishing and every one feeds the next one. And then you have a read-through. I suppose they think of it as you know you buy one, but then you want to get the next one and the next one and so. Well, on. Some of them are phenomenally bad, and some are just hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the whole podcast my dad wrote a porno has grown out of. <laughs> Anyone listen to that? Oh my god, it's amazing. Aware of it, yeah, it's, you've got to listen to it. it it's yeah. a guy who discovered that his retired salesman dad had seen Fifty Shades of Grey and thought, well, I could bloody do that, and started writing his own porn and putting it, putting it up on Amazon, and it's so bad. <laughs> but for a start, he doesn't understand how he even got born because he completely doesn't understand female anatomy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, and, and every week on this podcast, there's three people. It's, it's the lad who's reading his dad's novel, so he's, he's cringing with embarrassment reading this anyway because his dad's written this, and his two best mates. And they, they read a chapter from it every episode while drinking wine. It's the best podcast it really is. <laughs> it's, and it's done, in, and now they do big tours. They, they do, yeah, the they do the Albert Hall. They, they do the Albert Hall. They did actually, they sold it. The Prince Albert Hall. They sold it. There you are. And it's, it's, the, it's the pornographic book that the dad, is that out there? Can people actually, I don't know if there's ever Yeah, you can actually go and buy it. It's called Belinda Blinked. Well, it's the Belinda Blinked series. Yeah, I hope he's still making it. He writes under the name of Rocky Flintstone, and I'm delighted. I'm delighted that he gave me a cover quote for the last book while it's up there speaking of podcasts then don't forget the takeaway from this episode is i would love to see you on the other side over on the audible original podcast uh so so honored that they put their trust in me to make a show for them uh but we do need you there okay i'm well aware that by putting things behind a kind of paywall even though there's a free trial and all that sort of stuff um but by doing that it does limit your audience of course um this is actually if i'm honest it's a, an idea of a show we um we we pitched to radio four as well and uh, but audible uh, they bit they went for it and they wanted um what we were selling really and we ha- what we were selling was something that we love which is christmas and just talking about it and uh, and, and deep diving into those customs and traditions and that sort of thing. So if you get to paulcarenza.com slash audible.php, links in the show notes, you need that PHP, very important. Uh, you'll find all the info about it. Um, here's a step-by-step guide, right, if you need it, of how to basically get this Audible 
podcast, right? Here's what you do. Step one, you go to that link, paulcarenza.com slash audible.php. You read a bit more about the Christmas podcast, by all means, or don't read anything, not a problem. Click on the link or the Audible pick, uh, the little banner thing. You'll be taken straight to Audible via Amazon, who own uh, Audible, um, and you sign up. There's a free trial there. Uh, if you've not had a free trial in the last 12 months, you can have another one if, you, if you've had one previously. It does need card details, of course, um, but trust me, look, I've cancelled before. I signed up, did the free trial, cancelled it. It's legit. Okay, and you get a free audiobook, any audiobook you want, uh, for everything Harry Potter, if you want that, Lonesome Dove is one I've got on my phone, the great Western epic uh, War and Peace. Get your money's worth, basically. Don't get a podcast, uh, you know, an audiobook thingy that's just a couple of hours long. No, 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 right? Even our podcast series is three hours long. You want to get an audiobook that's 10 to 20 hours long. That's what you want. Get the full Bible. It's all up there. David Suchet's recorded it, right? Point four, right? Go to the top bar of Audible uh, once you are there via that link on my webpage, and you will find original podcasts, okay? If you click on that, then from this weekend, the start of December, you will find Christmas What the Fa-la-la-la-la. Again, not my choice. Uh, you might need to search for it, or it might even be there with a nice big logo if we're kind of nearing Christmas. But seek it out anyway. That's the podcast. Look for Christmas. What the fa-la-la-la-la. Download any other podcast as well, by all means, for free. You can get Stephen Fry's. Uh, Dermot O'Leary's got a great interview podcast there. There's a lovely podcast about dinosaurs. Loads of true crime, if that's your thing. Uh, David Suchet's Questions of Faith is fantastic as well. Then you've got that on your computer, right? But really, it's best enjoyed as an app on your phone. So uh, that's step six, get the app. And then step seven, just enjoy audiobooks, really. Um, and one day, yeah, like I said, I'm recording the Hark, the biography of Christmas as an audiobook, and that might be on there by Christmas as well, but that wouldn't be for a few weeks yet. But for now, join me and Grace Dent and our six brilliant guests. Uh, we've got Lucy Porter, Milton Jones, um, Atif Nawaz, uh, Angelica Bell, you might know from The One Show, and she's a brilliant cook as well, so she's on our food episode. Uh, we've got Sean Keevney from Six Music. Uh, he's brilliant on just his home domestic Christmases and the chaos that ensues. And comedian Andy Zaltzman, him of The Bugle. They all join us to get thoroughly festive. Oh man, they were fun. So do it, please. Thank you. Needn't cost you a penny. I will stop talking about that. Before we get back to comedians with books, big thank you to those of you who signed up to be beta readers uh, on the last episode. Uh, so if you did, you will notice I have failed to send you anything. I did say I would send some little stories, and I haven't. I will, but uh, probably next year now. Okay, life got busy. Uh, what can I say? Uh, doing what? Life got busy doing what, I hear you ask. Well, Miranda Hart's uh, Christmas special, The Reunion Show, recorded that last week. That was uh, such fun, of course. Um, that's on between Christmas and New Year, I believe. Uh, if you want to know which bits I wrote, uh, well, let's say the fun bits, okay? Uh, those, the bits you like, that, that, that I did those. Um, I, I got to rewrite some words to a famous pop song. I will say that much. So when that comes on, do enjoy that. Um, I've been doing some great pause for thoughts as well. I say great. I mean, you know, been great fun to do um, alongside big, big guests like Michael Palin, David Walliam, Robbie Williams, Edina Menzel, uh, just that's just been bonkers to be doing those pause for thoughts with them there. Uh, I've had a third kids book out, Joe's Bros and the Bus That Goes, that is out now. And I'm back on the road until Christmas doing comedians and carols all over the shop. Uh, do come and see me wherever that is. Comediansandcarols.com. Again, I will um, I'll put some info on the show notes and I will tell you where we are exactly by the end of the episode. For now, though, back to comedians with books. The one thing I would say is... In my experience, is whatever you do, get a good editor. Oh, God, yeah. 
um, and spend the money on the editor. Um, for my book, I got the, um, the editor who edits the Good Beer Guide for Canberra, so I knew uh, facts. If, I mean, if I got two facts wrong in the book, mm. I'd be absolutely rinsed. I went to a, uh, a book signing of somebody else who was doing a homebrew book, and somebody I know said, oh, are you writing a book about pubs? Oh, you're going to get trashed online. So I knew <laughs> that two facts wrong, and I'm in trouble, mm. especially, I, I, I don't know about you, when you write, um, my partner's not very well, and so I do her job. She runs a doggy daycare, so I do that from nine to five. So I was getting up at half six in the morning to write, uh, and what was quite strange was sort of half six in the morning in your pyjamas and dressing gown writing about tequila was a bit sort of weird uh, in the evening it'd be alright because I'd sort of taste something and write about it but it was strange oh so I you're mean, not drinking it at 6.30 in the morning uh, well? no I'm not, not drinking tequila, tequila but it was I How just remember hot dogs no <laughs> <laughs> it was a very strange writing about yeah. certain subjects yeah. uh, a certain time. Well, they do say, you know, that if you get a book, you particularly help, you know, passionate about you would need to get it out there. That, yeah, you set the alarm, you know, yeah. four o'clock in the morning if need be to get yeah. it done. Yeah. Well, when are your fertile times to write? Um, I, I, I've spent the day in Guildford in hot coffee shop hopping. Uh, so right. I'm, I'm pretty well caffeinated by now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Coffee shops are great. And there, there is some science behind that. that in the fact that if you, ha- if you try and work in silence, your brain will look for things to distract you. That's what, oh, screw You'll find anything. And if it's too noisy, it's the same. But if you've got a general hubbub of noise in the background at a certain level, yeah. it actually helps. And it's funny, I mean, you mentioned Stephen Fry. He put me onto something. Cause I was saying, how the hell do you write your books? And he said, well, I can't sit in a coffee shop. Because everyone's coming up saying, you're Stephen Fry and I love you. Um, but he, he <laughs> mentioned this to some software geeks in America. Right. And they created a website called Coffitivity. And it's absolutely true. There's a website called Coffitivity. It's coffitivity.com. If you log on to it, it plays the sound of a coffee shop. Wow. And you can pick different coffee shops around the world. You can have one in Paris, one in New York, and that. You just put that on your computer speakers in the background. You can sit at home and you feel like you're in a coffee shop. That's incredible. It's amazing. It really works. I thought you were going to say, tell the technicians they made some prosthetics, and now he sits in coffee shops. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be quite cool, wouldn't it? When when I say I got up at half six, that was the uh, when I decided to really seriously write the book. When the first half of the book I actually wrote, um, surrounded by about eight dogs in the living room, and so I couldn't actually write on the laptop. And also, I don't know if you boys and girls are the same, that when you try and write something on the laptop, you look at that empty screen, and it's quite intimidating. Yeah. And I couldn't write on the laptop because the dogs try and lick everything. <laughs> and so I literally, the first draft of the book, I texted it. I texted it, and then when I got into... Um, when I got the publishing deal, I, I, I got into a problem where I was getting a bit of a writer's block, so I went back to texting again. So I texted the whole, the whole first draft wow. is texted. Well, in fact, I'm, I'm trying to write a, a novel at the minute, but because it's something that no one is asking for, and there's no money, and there's no <laughs> interest, I was finding it very difficult to motivate myself. Yeah. I've got the idea, just yeah. getting it on, on paper. So mm. I thought, given that when I had my writing time, I was writing for other people, you know, because I do sitcom writing and things like that, I thought, I'm not getting the time to write my thing. Mm. So I started writing it on an app on my phone. There's a novel writing app. Right. And I started doing that, thinking, well, when I've got some time with my phone, rather than check Twitter or Facebook yeah, or play yeah. a game of Scrabble, I'll do a bit of another little mini chapter of, of the novel. Oh, were you writing it or were you doing it via Siri? I was writing it via Thumbs. Um, and I got probably a couple of chapters in. Look at these West Country and, uh, novelists. I we write with our thumbs, you know. <laughs> All three of them. Um, <laughs> give me six. <laughs> 
I would say I got about two chapters in and I thought that's taken me eight months when actually if I hadn't spent some time on the laptop I could have got a lot more done. Yes. So okay. I've now well, taken it from the app to the computer so I can use but, all ten fingers. But do you find it, it frees you up? I mean I find it frees me up to text it. I, I could set I could literally just it's like throwing paint at a wall, but as soon as I sit there with a laptop, I don't know the same with you boys. I feel a little bit of a freeze. Oh, this has got to be good. Whereas well, I can, I tell you, it's something. I, I, and it's free. It's free. Yeah. For, for me, on the laptop now, I've moved to that. I've actually felt I've got a lot more done since I, I started in, in Microsoft Word, getting really analytical and geeky now. But um, then I've actually now switched to What's do your font. <laughs> comic sounds no. Um Never wingdings. Wingdings. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm doing a lot in Excel instead, um, just to get the outline down and scene by scene which characters are in each scene, oh, wow. all that sort of stuff. And by doing it as a spreadsheet, I can sort of keep it tabs on that A plot line and the B plot and the C plot. Putting well, words in the numbers. I mean, there, is, there is software that can help you do that. There, and there's software like Scrivener. Which, oh, yeah, which I, is I, a, I, Scrivener. Yeah, which, which is a bit like Word, but you've also got all that sort of spreadsheet stuff going on mm. on the side. Uh, I just write in Word. And I keep notebooks. Notebooks are really important. I just write down everything I see, everything I think's funny. I mean, just this week, some great stories I was reading about. Um, uh, a search for a missing tourist in Iceland uh, was called off after three hours when they realised the woman they were searching for was in the search party. <laughs> uh, or another great story I read about a bloke who got, he got, he got he was digging a hole, he found some metal on his metal detector and he got down six feet before he realised it was his steel toe caps. <laughs> Real life is funnier than, than anything and you think, oh god that's brilliant, or I see a brilliant name and think I'm having that name. I'm lucky in the fact that my house, I've got a, see I've managed to get rid of all the kids. Which is great. Still got the dogs, but I've got, I've got still got the kids. Uh, no more kids. Oh, there's, a doggy, there's, a, there's a doggy daycare you can yeah, use. Yeah. I know, yeah. He's I've a bit drunk. I've got three or two and a half. You can have them. Put it's the great. baby reins on. I'll happy to take them. Around. Fantastic. But I'm, I've actually got a room where I can write uh, when I'm at home. And I, I go, and I've tried to be quite disciplined. I go in there at sort of like eight in the morning and I'll write through till about 11. Mm. Then I'll have you know, a cup of tea yeah, and a biscuit. Yeah. And then I'll write through till about one. Take the dogs out for a walk for an hour. That's always good Brilliant. for freshening your brain up. Uh, and sort of after do tiffin at about three mm-hmm. and tea and a biscuit and then I, I come out there and lock the door at six yeah um, and, but it, um, there is that thing of people who spend a lot of money going to uh, a friend of my partner she go he, he spends a fortune going to these writers retreats oh, yeah, and for right. me I just had to because I sat on this sofa surrounded by dogs when I got up at half six in the morning I all I needed to do was sit in the same spot in the sofa and have a sip of coffee, and then I was in. Yeah. It was more to do with getting in a mindset. It is than a yeah external. I live. Well, I, I live out in Buckinghamshire. I live very close to Great Missenden. It's about two miles oh, up the road from me. Roald Dahl, which, which is where Roald Dahl lives. And if yeah. you look at his shed, you go and visit his shed. That's exactly what he did. He said, "I'm going to work now." He walked down to the shed in the garden. He had a very particular way of doing things with this this weird rolling piece of wood, and then a board on top of that, and he wrote. And but he had to do that to write. He couldn't sit on a typewriter. Other people, Tom Sharp, one of my great heroes, great comic writer, um, he had 19 typewriters around his house. So as he was walking around, you know, sort of doing the compost, doing the washes, oh, I've got an idea, check it out. And he'd sort of collate it all at the end of the day. I mean, people have to find their method. The, um, the previous comedians with books, we had James Carey, who's a, a sitcom writer. Oh, yeah, he's great. And he's done a couple of books. Mm. And I know, uh, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, when he, he moved house and they, they got a new build thing, they sort of could design the house to a degree. And so he got an office in the house, as you, as you, you know, ideally maybe would. Um, but rather than have a door to that office from within the house, 
They deliberately um, put the door on the outside of the house, yeah. so that when he goes to work, he goes out the sort of the French windows, turns left, turns left again, and then he's in his office. Not going to work. <laughs> yes, it's going some, to work. something like about Mr. That ben going. <laughs> <from him>. <laughs> <laughs> it's something about going to work. Stephen King does the same. He's got he's got this magnificent clifftop house in Maine, but he actually walks down a set of steps out of his house to a, a smaller clifftop house in Maine, wow. where he actually works. Yeah, and, wow. and the rest of the family don't go there. Yeah. If anybody's thinking of uh, writing or doing anything, the book Stephen Fry, uh, Stephen, Fry Stephen King on writing oh, good is book. Very good. Uh, good book. Uh, a brilliant That's read. Yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about really good. Book. Yes. It's very. I'm not, I don't particularly like Stephen King as a writer. He no, that one. book but that is his book best book. Is really good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Stephen King's example is someone that um, he. He, he, he would, you could tell he would write anyway, even if you weren't yeah, making yeah, a yeah. fortune every book. And he devours books to buy, you know, he reads them all the time. He's, he, he is a complete aficionado. Yeah, he also yeah. said a thing that resonated with me. He said that um, uh, what, the right word is the right word for that sentence. It doesn't need to be a flashy word, it can be a straightforward word, just completely the right, right word. Yeah, completely right. Yeah, I think no, Will Self take note. <laughs> Another great uh, book is if, if you've not, even though it's about screenwriting, but William Goldman's Adventures in the oh, Screen yeah. Trade. Again, he's he's brilliant. He writes about. I mean, this is the guy who wrote Princess Bride and Butch and Sundance, God knows what else. But great writer, great novelist, great screenwriter. And I mean, he once said, you know, there's no such thing as a good writer, but there's lots and lots of really good rewriters. So you know, never be afraid. The hardest part is getting that first draft down, putting one word after another until you've got eighty, hundred thousand words. Then the fun starts. Then you go back to the beginning, and you realise that your character you've been with now for a hundred thousand words. Now you've got to know them really well. You go back to chapter one, you're like, well, he wouldn't have said it like that because you now know the character. And you can rewrite, and most people will do. Apart from one person I met, Frederick Forsyth, who basically sits down, types it, and that's it. That's the last draft. Yeah. Um, I think everyone rewrites. And I mean, uh, J.K. Rowling. I was lucky enough to meet her a little while ago, and she said the second Harry Potter book, she did about thirty rewrites. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about the rewriting, not the writing. Um, any questions from the floor? Because we've hogged it uh, amply. Anything you want to lob out and yell, feel free. How long does it take, the book take to write them in general? Do you, do you get 30 rewrites? How long does that take? I mean, uh, it depends I, if you've got a doggy daycare. It's very that. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it can, it can vary a lot in terms of how long to write a book. I certainly, for myself, um, I've, well, the biggest one I suppose I did was the History of Christmas book. Um, and that took... A, about 18 months on and off and uh, but I was doing lots of other jobs in the meantime as well in fact I uh, I finished the last draft of it and again that was a couple of rewrites I had a, a, a sort of a paying writing job and I was writing the script for the forgive the clang but the, the, for the BBC Music Awards and I was it was a live show I was backstage sort of doing the my work was done as soon as they said you know welcome to the BBC Music Awards my work was done because I was putting stuff in the auto queue and doing the links for the presenters so as they were introducing... He writes for Tiny Temper. I do, I write all of his best um, ad-lib raps. Um, and, um, That's it, got you. And, as, you know, the acts were on... Uh, Robbie Williams was on stage doing some big uh, song, and I was backstage just writing the last bit about Christmas, and, you know, and then, you know, this is the difference between Father Christmas and Santa Claus, how you can tell one's got a bobble hat, one's got a hood, and, you know. Um, and right, you know, four, four feet away there was sort of... Uh, but the fact that you can do that, you can write in the gaps between your day job. That's the skill, it's being able to sit down and think, I've got 10 minutes spare, what can I do in yeah, these 10 yeah. minutes? Because, I mean, my first book, I, I wrote, you know, when I was still doing a uh, 40-hour week job, and I had kids and grandkids and things like that, still managed to fit it in just by getting into that Well, that way you're the police force, where you can do surveillance, go, oh, shit. No, that would have been, been, been really, <laughs> that would have been really useful. To, but, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it took me, to write A Murder of Dive took about 18 months, right. because 
the idea, I actually think about eight years from the initial idea, but it, it took 18 months to sit down and do it word up to word. But the second book, I didn't have all the distraction of anything else because I wasn't writing QI at that point. And that took about three months. So I, I know a lot of writers who are just the full-on sort of novelists, yeah. particularly the self-publishers, who just, they have to churn them out because they know that they want to get that read-through thing. And if you go a year without a book, your fans may drift off, whatever. And I know a lot of those guys do a, set themselves a limit of like 2,000 words a day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And wow. The, if they sort of miss that, they've got to catch up, you know. And, wow. um, uh, and, and then, to, you know, to get a, what, a 70,000 sort of yeah, novel, yeah, yeah. You're looking at 35 days of that, but then yeah. that's that's the first draft. Then it's the next and the next. So so you can do it in three months. It depends what your yeah. subject matter is. I mean, I wrote 80,000 words, but I also had to drink quite a lot <laughs> to that resonate. Down. So mine mine was uh, th- it took me three years. Yeah. But there again, every every bit you know, for example, when the chapter about gin, I thought well, I can't just write about gin. I'll go to a gin masterclass. So you go and do things to sort of. Uh, Oh, you said it to a drinking game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, kind of, yeah. Another paragraph. Wait, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. I want to make sure that I. Did you yeah. try every drink then? If you were writing a chapter about sherry. You oh know, yeah, I wouldn't mention anything unless God, I, I tried it. There was a, a famous um, uh, a wine sommelier called Matt Skinner, who's uh, uh, Jamie Oliver's best mate, and he reviewed a bunch of wines that hadn't actually come out yet and was ridiculed, and that was the end of his career. So you've got to be very careful. So. Um, yeah, I went and I researched yeah, I know your stuff, yeah. and also the uh, camera. They've got the, uh, uh, that, that's the other thing with Unbound. You can do what you want to do. For example, with camera, I was told that I criticised quite uh, heavily some big uh, beer companies uh, who run pubs, mm. who destroyed. Pub, and I was told you can't mention that. You can't mention that because that will be uh, liable. So I had to uh, water things down. Well, we get we get warned about you know. Anything that's sort of libelous. Yeah. But obviously, mm. you know, put, get, we th- think twice about putting that in. Exactly. Could you make it someone else? You know, yeah, could yeah. you make it Bill Collins, the drummer? Dick Wakeman. You do get warnings about, you know, if you're going to mention real people, yeah. be a little bit careful. And, and real organisations. I, I try, try and make up people. I've, I've got a dilemma at the minute. I'm trying to, one of the other many things I'm trying to write is uh, a sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, it's like a Fiction, but true history, like Robert Harris does. You know, you're all yeah, 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 like stuff, yeah. But a fi- fiction faction. version, F- faction, is that what faction, yeah. faction. Um, Robert Harris has mostly done this about ancient Rome and things like that. The thing I'm trying to write is is for about a hundred years ago, and so I've checked all the main characters in it have now died, but only just. And I'm kind of working out. I think because you can't libel someone who's died. You're not going to kill. No, no. I'm not going to. That would be a good plot to kill someone yeah. so that you can then libel them. <laughs> Um, so I'm just trying to look at how careful you need to be when it's mm. just you know kind of recent enough history. You can get away. You can say a lot about Caesar. You say a lot yeah. about Caesar, but can you say stuff about someone who maybe if, you're, if you're past the libel yeah. section, you're then into sensitivity really because they will still have family. Well, that's true. That's, that's true. true. I mean, I'm that, being that's I'm being nice, nice yeah. you know, but I am putting words in their mouths which therefore they didn't necessarily say. So it's just uh, yeah. But I think it's yeah, just it's being fair. Interesting thing, isn't it? The fair. historical fiction and you know Hilary Mantel and. Where does that stand? What's the, what's the, what's the point? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just read a history book, you know. No, but what's the historical, historical fiction? You know, yeah. is a is a blurred line, isn't mm. it? It is, and I think yeah, because you've got to base it on what is known, what is out there. But then also, there's I think there's often those obvious behind closed doors moments where you think mm. no one would quite know what Henry VIII said to Anne Boleyn at this point. 
we'll go with this for now. You know. Yeah. So I hope you're enjoying Comedians with Books, which is a live show we did here in 2019. But 2020 holds different things. I think it's a year of uh, novel writing uh, and writing a, a TV drama idea, more radio stuff, more gigs. Um, hey, why not book me? Why don't you do just that? You can get in touch with me, Paul at paulcarenza.com to do just that. Um, as indeed these people have. Comedians and Carols is my touring show I do this time of year. Our 12th or 13th year now, I think it is. Uh, this year takes us to Coventry and Frinton. Uh, we've got a Leicester show on election night, 12th of December. Uh, do come to that Aylston's Black Horse in Leicester uh, with Andy Kind and Tony Coward. It's going to be a great fun show December 12th. We've got Woking, we've got Bewdley in Worcestershire, Rains Park, Derby Cathedral, Sidcup, Colchester, Chatham, all uh, on comediansandcarols.com. You can head to that website to find out more. More info on what I'm up to on the mailing list, uh, because who knows when the next one of these podcasts will come along. You can't guarantee find you all the latest info on this one. Uh, not that that's necessarily why you listen, but but thanks if you do anyway. Thanks for putting up with me, basically waffling on about what I'm up to, but, you know, I've got to tell somebody. Uh, so something else will land here at some point in podcast form. Don't know when don't quite know what. I've got an idea for a podcast I mentioned earlier, but um, on previous episodes, but it's it's rather ambitious, so we'll we'll see on that. For now, though, I'm over on the Audible original podcast, Christmas What the Fa La 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 La, hosted by me and Grace Dent. Do join us. Last words now from James Dowdswell and Stephen Colgan. So obviously you've written a few novels. What about script writing? You know, both of you, you've written a lot of jokes. Well, how does that... Is it a different part of the brain, or how does... Uh, yeah, I suppose, maybe, I said to a degree, but um, for me, um, I mean, the, the one I was just talking about there, in fact, you know, the sort of 100 years old kind of stuff, I'm trying to also write at the same time as a, as a script, and I'm, in theory, thinking, I've got this one idea, it could work as a novel, could be a TV show, let's try both, but I'm finding that incredibly difficult, because as a TV thing, your scenes have to be a lot shorter, and you kind of bang them out, there's also a certain structure to screenwriting, they say there are plotters and pantsers, those who plot yeah, those so. books and then do it by the seat of their pants. Whereas with screenwriting, screenwriting fiction, you know, dramas and comedies, there are those kind of set rules. You kind of need your, need to hit your key scenes and things. So yeah. it's a lot more knowing the theory. Mm. It's a tricky thing as well, the fact that, that a lot of the joy of writing a book is playing with language. You know, mm. playing with, I mean, the reason that, you know, the great PG Woodhouse or even Douglas oh. Adams don't translate terri terribly well to film and TV yeah. because all the joy of reading their books is in the language. Mm. You know, when PG Woodhouse writes something like Aunt Agatha's smile evaporated like the breath of a morning razor. Yes. <laughs> that, that's a wonderful image. And if you were filming that and it's Maggie Smith playing Aunt yeah. Agatha, all she'd do is... Yeah. You know, it, it's just not the same. And when, you know, it's the same with Douglas Adams. He, he wrote these extraordinarily, wonderfully descriptive passages, which when you suddenly do that in CGI, all the mm -hmm. charm and the nuance is lost. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, if I'm, if I'm trying to write something as a script, I tend to write something that's, that's very, very different. I mean, people always moan when they say, oh, I went to see the film and it was nothing like the book. Chances are for very good reasons, because the book as it stood wouldn't yeah. translate properly to film. You have to, you mm -hmm. have to think of film in a completely different medium. Yeah. Like, when I say film, I'm talking about TV as well, obviously. It, it's a completely different medium and it, it's a visual medium, whereas books is all about the mind. All, I mean, as I say, you know, Books, yeah, yeah. Have, books have all the best pictures, don't they? They're yeah. the same as radio does, because yeah. it's all about your head. Mm. So, um, yeah. you can look at a book a little bit more. You can, you? yeah. You pontificate. Yeah. You, you, as you said, you dive into someone's head a lot more um, yeah. on TV. It's show, don't tell, and all that stuff, I suppose. Um, and, even, and even things yeah. like even things like what the character looks like. Mm. I mean, if you read 
um, a novel by a, a George MacDonald Fraser or, or someone like that, or, or even you know something like the Adrian Mole books, you form a very fixed idea in your head from the brief descriptions. So most authors don't describe their characters very closely. They let the author, they, they let the basically the reader do the work. But then when they turn it into a TV show, they think, well, that's not what I thought you looked like. Yeah. You know, and that can yeah. utterly change your view of the character. And there's also, I've, I've heard as well of some novelists who've, tr- who've adapted their work to telly, you know, as a drama or something, mm-hmm. and then they found the stage directions, they sort of, the first draft, they write in a rather flouncy fashion for stage yeah. directions, where actually we don't need to know about the house looked like surrender in building form. No, it just was, tell us what we need to know yeah. for the people to make the show, because obviously that will never be heard, that stage mm-hmm. direction, but you just need to, the set designer needs to know what, what colour you're in. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. My my favourite film is uh, With No and I, and I've got the the screenplay which I've got signed. And the um, the this if anybody ever liked With No and I, get the screenplay because the stage directions. You put, oh, I've, got, I've got a copy of my mm-hmm. Bruce just Written. writes brilliantly. Yeah, it's fantastic. In fact, that's the best um, book uh, event I've been to, Cheltenham Festival of Literature, about nineteen ninety eight. My best friend couldn't go, so I said to my mum, oh, should we go and see uh, uh, Richard E. Grant do uh, Widnall's Diary? We get there, Chantfest Richard, the main town hall, turns out Richard E. Grant can't make it. The standing in the place is Bruce Robinson, the director-writer. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. My mum said, I not Richard E. Grant. I said, mum, you're going to enjoy this. We sat in row three, and then it was quite apparent, quite clear, that Bruce Robinson was... Uh, Widnall. <laughs> uh, he had sciatica, he couldn't stand still, he was moving around, he grabbed the bottle of wine, was stalking the stage, you go, do you know, I put every word of that movie in that bastard Grant's mouth. <laughs> What's he doing tonight? Spice Girls the movie. What's utter balls? <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards I got it signed and uh, he said, well, what do you want me to say? And I said, it's been a most memorable evening and you just scrawled something and then just fell flat and he gets the, 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 the publishing agent I'm so sorry I was the last person to get signed he's a little bit drunk I said no that's exactly what I wanted <laughs> and he's lying on the floor going drink me booze <laughs> I can see an alcohol theme throughout your work <laughs> and your inspiration struck me any other business before we finish anyone wanted to ask me yes sir yes it when you get to the end of the last read group and it's finally ready to go is it what's it like to, to leave it and just let it go out there Oh, for me, I'm a, a mixture of relief and terrifying yeah. because you sort of think, oh, this thing I've worked on for so long is out there. But also that thing of, I can't change it now. And every, every, I've done about six, seven books now. Every one I've done, as that's gone, I've gone, I needed one more look, didn't it? Oh, it yeah. did. And there's, and there's a couple of minor errors. There's a couple of, in the Kiss Your Christmas book, but only had one person pick out a factual correction, which I think was Elvis Costello was the manager of the Pokes rather the producer. I'm looking at Stephen like he knows this. Which I, I said he was the producer, I think he was the manager. Um, and this ties into the fact that he bet, again it goes back to alcohol, he had a drinking bet, drunken bet with the Pope, with Shane and of the Pokes that they couldn't write a Christmas song. Wow. Um, because the Pogues, of course, were not really known for their, <laughs> you know, religious folk. Uh, you know, they had a bit of folk stuff, but they didn't. That was like, they, they were the last person you, people you'd ever expect a Christmas song. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. of course, Shane McGowan, you know, he had a few drinks in there. And was like, yeah, I could do a Christmas song. And I think, I think it's fairly famous the results of that. Anyway, so, um, um, but there you go. But I got the title wrong. It's manager, not producer. So you always regret one little 
It is difficult. I mean, I, I think it was Leonardo da Vinci who said, art is never finished, it's only ever abandoned. It's, it's kind of true, you, you kind of have to finish and move on to the next thing. Yeah, like true. great art, we should abandon... By the way, just as a thing, in terms of your name, you mentioned your name, Stephen. Uh, my next-door neighbour is called, uh, he's an Australian bloke called Tristan, and he's married uh, a woman called Akko Kobayashi, and he refuses to take her name. And I was going, if you don't take her name, I'm going to take her name. <laughs> Tristan Kobayashi, that is an author's name. I met a bloke a couple of years ago who had the best name ever. His name was Jeff Leopard. He's his own tribute bank. Yeah, I know. If he doesn't form a tribute bank called Jeff Leopard, I'm going to be so cross. Can you only have one arm? Just a great name. Double down. Uh, on that bombshell, let us uh, leave this uh, merry occasion. Um, uh, but thanks. So, Stevens, your books are A Murder to Die For and The Diabolical, Diabolical Club. Club. They're both here this evening. James, yeah. your book is The Pub Manifesto, and it's also available here this evening and online at all the usual retailers. And Paul's um, books are here, of course. My books are here as well. I've read Paul's for our comedians. You've seen comedians with books. Stephen Crowder. So that's it. We're done here. A new podcast will return here at some juncture for now though enjoy the back episodes uh, if you want a Christmassy one The Nonagon Club that was episode 25 uh, last year loads of Christmas historical stuff in there not as much though as on the new Audible original podcast Christmas What the Falala find us over there paulcarinza.com slash audible.php it's in the show notes even if you've had that free trial you can grab another I will shut up about that now I promise you. Uh, So, um, well, uh, have a good one. Merry listening to wherever and whatever you listen to next. Be excellent to each other. God bless you. Season's greetings. Whatever season you're in. I don't know. Could be summer. And um, catch you next time. Somewhere, somewhen. I wish you well.